Today, I want to talk about a passage or a topic that is uh, challenging for all of us, and that is evangelism. It's challenging for a number of reasons. It's challenging because a lot of us are scared when it comes to evangelism. Somebody I know taught a week-long master's level intensive for the School of Mission and at Wheaton College, and uh, his name is Trevin Wax. You, some of you might know him as a blogger. And uh, as he talked to the students there who were all involved in ministry, he learned a few things about their experience and, and evangelism. And this is what he learned. Uh, he learned, number one, evangelism is a perennial challenge. He learned that all of them felt like it is a challenge. And then secondly, he learned that everybody said that evangelism is tough, not only for them, but for the people they lead. They said it's hard to train and motivate people to share their faith. And that's true no matter where you come from. And I just want to, as I begin to look at God's word with you today, I just want you to hear that. If you find evangelism hard, you are not alone. Even people who are well-schooled and well-experienced in ministry and studying at a graduate level with years of experience find it very difficult. A few years ago, I was uh, encouraged reading a book called Honest Evangelism by a man named Rico Tice. And uh, he's a, an evangelist, a very solid man. And he said this, I find evangelism hard. The problem with being an evangelist, he says, is people assume that you find evangelism effortless. But he said, I don't find it easy. I never have. For me, telling people about Jesus has often been nerve wracking. But at the same time, it's been joyful. And he began to explain that one of the reasons why evangelism is hard is because every time you share your faith with somebody, you're really putting your relationship with them at risk. You could provoke people. They could reject not just the message, but you. And so I was really comforted and encouraged in a, a weird way by knowing that even a full-time evangelist says he finds evangelism hard. I think that's one of the reasons we don't do evangelism, just because there is a cost and it is hard for all of us. But today I want to look at this with you. And uh, if I were with you longer for a few weeks, I would, I would cover a few things with you. Because I think evangelism involves a few things. And so if I were with you, I'm not going to develop this a lot. I think evangelism involves, uh, to a certain extent, showing the gospel. And by that, I mean uh, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 about being salt and light. It means that we actually demonstrate the beauty of the gospel through our lives. Uh, so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that, People should look at our lives and look at our good deeds and glorify our Father who's in heaven. There should be something uh, compelling about the way that we live, that people are actually uh, drawn to Jesus and give glory to our Father because they see the evidence of faithfulness in our lives. Well, if I were to be with you another week, um, that would maybe be the first week I would talk to you about the importance of, of showing the gospel in our lives if I were to, to be with you the third week, probably I would talk about telling the gospel. At some point, the gospel involves a verbal proclamation. At some point, we need to be able to explain what it means. Uh, the gospel is actually good news. Sometimes I hear people say that uh, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And of course, that's ridiculous because 
you can never communicate news without delivering it using words. At some point, the only way to explain the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ, uh, what he did to uh, live a sinless life and to die in our place, his resurrection, his ascension, his reign, his future return, his invitation for sinners to put their trust in him, all of that, the the fact that he's going to put this world right again, all of that has to be explained in words. And so I would, I would talk to you about, man, we've got to uh, show the gospel. We've got to know how to tell the gospel. You know, when the opportunity comes, we've got to be ready with an explanation of the work of Jesus Christ and what it means for us today. You know, there's another conversation that really I want to center on today, and it's this. We've got to learn how to have conversations with people. I don't know about you, but I've rarely had somebody come up to me and say, what must I do to be saved? It can happen. I think it's happened once to me. But a large part of evangelism, I think, is actually just having stimulating conversations with people. And part of that is asking good questions. There's a book called Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. I love that title, Sharing Jesus Without Freaking Out. And he says this, the author says this, what if we spent less time giving people scripted evangelistic presentations and instead simply learn to introduce Jesus into the normal conversations we already have. I love that. Instead of looking for ways to uh, spurt out our memorized script or uh, to have a a certain formulaic presentation that we're angling to give, what if we actually learn to enter into conversations with people and answer their questions, ask questions, get them to ask us questions. And so today I want to look at that. And I want to look at a story that uh, we find in the gospel of Mark. I'm going to read it for you. And uh, then I want to uh, just explain, I think, what Jesus does here and give you some questions you can use in your own life. So here's a story where Jesus used a question. And the story is found in Mark chapter 10. A well-known story if you've been in church you, you might be familiar with this. This is going to hit us on a couple of levels. Uh, I, I think it's going to hit us because Jesus has a word for us today in this passage. And I don't, I don't want to miss that. I want you to hear the word that Jesus has for us as he interacts with this young man. But I want to go a second level, a level that we don't normally go, and just watch how Jesus engaged with this person and use conversation. So as I preach, I want to hit both of these levels. I want us to hear the message that Jesus teaches us. And I want to pay attention to what Jesus does actually in this passage. And so let me read this for you. Uh, Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. And it's interesting how Jesus responded. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had 
great possessions. Well, the question that this man asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't know that you could get a better setup for a gospel presentation. I've rarely had this. I would love for people to come up to me and say, Daryl, what must I do to have eternal life? Honestly, I don't think anyone's ever asked me a question that clearly. Even I could knock that one out of the park. It doesn't get any easier than that. But I want you to notice how Jesus responded. He didn't immediately answer. Instead, Jesus asked a question. And I want you to notice this because you and I, if we were grading Jesus based on our normal evangelistic approach, we would probably say Jesus flubbed his response here. Like, this is, I mean, we're just expecting him to, to give a clear gospel presentation, to invite this man to pray and accept him into his life. But what he does in verse 18 is he, he does something probably none of us would have done. He asks this man a question. Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. Okay, so a couple of things here. This is not unusual for Jesus. In fact, the way that Jesus usually answers questions in the Gospels is he asks a question in response. One man observed the way that Jesus interacted with people in, in the Gospels, and he said this, I once did a study of how Jesus answered every question that was asked of him in all four Gospels. Answering a question with a question was the norm. A clear, concise, direct answer was a rarity. And I want you to notice this because I wonder if there's something for us to learn here. Jesus strategically asked questions because it, he knew a good way to get to the heart of an issue was by probing and asking questions. Jesus was not content with staying on, staying on the surface and, and just answering questions. He wanted to get to the heart of the issue. He wanted to get a, below the surface and not just answer questions, but get to people's heart. And so also notice the question that Jesus asked here. He, he said, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. A lot of people have tried to figure out why Jesus asked this question. I think, and I could be wrong. I was looking at a lot of commentaries. Uh, nobody's 100% sure what Jesus is doing, but I think this is a fairly good guess here. Jesus is trying to get at this man's assumptions. Jesus was trying to really get at the heart of what this man believed about God and about himself. And so Becky Pippert, uh, another leading writer on evangelism, says this. Jesus was brilliant in the questions that he asked. Questions can challenge what somebody thinks without sounding aggressive or making them feel defensive. And so whenever somebody comes to you and uh, you can tell that they have assumptions about who God is or what eternal life is like or even what Christianity is about. A good way to surface that and to get to the heart of the issue is by asking questions that begin to surface that assumption, especially if it can help you get to an important underlying issue. Okay, so Jesus is already begin to, beginning to probe this man's heart. He's not just content to say, I've got one on the hook here. Uh, Jesus wants to really understand this man's heart and make sure that he understands what he's asking. But then Jesus does something surprising. And again, I have a guess that 
most evangelism teachers, if this wasn't Jesus, they would say that Jesus answered wrong. Of course, we know that Jesus didn't answer wrong. But what Jesus does here is so surprising that I think if I tried to do it without this passage and somebody was marking me, they'd say, Daryl, you flood that. You completely messed up. This man's asking you how to have eternal life. Well, look what Jesus says here. He doesn't give the answer we would expect. We would expect that Jesus would say, okay, you've got to repent of your sins. You've got to turn in repentance and faith to me. You've got to put your trust in me and make me Lord and Savior of your life. But look at what Jesus says here. Jesus begins to list the second table of the Ten Commandments. Jesus begins to, uh, the Ten Commandments are uh, divided into uh, the first four commandments that really do deal with our relationship with the Lord. Of course, they're all related. They all deal with our relationship with the Lord, but four are more Godward in direction. And then six are are to do with our relationships with with each other. Uh, and the ones that Jesus skips are are basically the the earlier ones. And it's interesting because he skips the final command. But in just a, a few sentences, Jesus says, listen, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And Jesus is beginning to surface some deeper issues. He's not just answering the man's question. He's actually beginning to get to the man's heart. He's really trying to get to the underlying surfaces that this man faces and then begin to get to the real issue of the man's heart. Well, that's what Jesus does. And this man, he does what I think Jesus expects him to do. He pats himself on the back and says actually that he's pretty good, that he's kept all the commands. But then Jesus centered on the one that he knew was a problem for this man, the final commandment, the commandment not to covet. It has to do with the heart's attitude towards money. And so in verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Okay. So what is Jesus doing here? A lot of people have misunderstood this passage and they've, they've thought that Jesus here is saying, uh, is saying that the, the, the thing that every believer in Jesus Christ must do is to sell everything they have and give it to the poor and be possessionless and follow him. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. That's not the clear, consistent teaching that Jesus gave. Uh, that would be hard to sustain that view from scripture. Uh, there's really no command in scripture that this is a calling of every believer to sell their possessions and give everything away and follow him. I think what Jesus is doing here is catering his gospel presentation to this man in particular. What Jesus is doing is he knows the particular issue that this man faces. And he's zeroing in on that particular issue itself. I'll give you an example. If I were talking with, uh, say, a, a man who was um, unfaithful to his wife and, and wanted to follow Jesus, probably the, the command I would zero in on is he was wrestling with, you know, what does it mean to follow Jesus? The one that I would zero in is, 
is, you know, you, you need to understand that you, what you're doing to your wife is sin. I would point them to the command about adultery and say that Jesus is calling you to repent of this particular sin and to put him first over the sin that you're currently choosing. And what Jesus is doing here is, is he's pressing in on this man's heart. He knows the presenting issues of this man's heart. And he wants to put pressure there because this man has to really grapple with whether he wants to honor God with his life. You remember I said the second table of the Ten Commands, Ten Commandments is, is really uh, about our relationship with, not God word, but with stuff and people. Well, really what Jesus is, is giving here is a version of the first commandment. Don't have any gods before me. And he's really pressing this home in the area of money. Are you prepared to really put God first? Jesus has no generic gospel presentation. Jesus never just pulled out, you know, the, the, the illustration or a pamphlet and, and gave it to everybody and said, here's the gospel. There's one gospel, but it's so multifaceted and rich that you can approach it from many angles and you can get to the same great news from many different places. And that's what Jesus does here. A couple of scholars write this. When Jesus and the apostles proclaim the gospel throughout the New Testament, even though they consistently proclaim the essence of its message, they're flexible in what aspect of the message they bring to the forefront. And so both Paul and Jesus, for instance, they adjust their approach and emphasis depending on the context. And for that reason, they don't sound exactly alike. Jesus' explanation to the rich young ruler of how to gain eternal life is quite different from his parable of the self-righteous Pharisee and the tax collector who went away justified before God. Jesus catered his message, same message, but Jesus tweaked his message for the particular person that he was talking to. In this case, Jesus knew that this man loved money more than he loved God. And he went to that issue with laser focus. In this entire question, Jesus has masterfully used questions and steered the conversation to get at the real issue of the heart of the person before him. I read about a theologian who was asked by a student, what's your best argument for Christianity? What's your best argument for Christianity? And the theologian answered this very wisely. Well, it depends. It depends on who I'm talking to and what the situation is. That frustrated the student, but it's a great answer. There is no one best argument for Christianity. There is only the person in front of you. And really understanding the, their heart, uh, asking questions to understand their issue, and then tweaking the gospel message to speak to their particular needs. Before we can explain the gospel to people, it really helps to know where they're coming from and then to adapt the message to them and their particular issues and questions. And of course, Jesus did that uh, better than we ever would. But all it really takes is listening to what's going on in the person in front of us, paying attention and trying to get to the heart of the issue rather than just staying on the surface. What I want to do for just a minute before I, I, I said I wanted to look at two levels, what I want to do for just a minute is uh, to speak to our hearts today. I think the looking at a passage like this, we have to ask, what are we clinging to rather than God? 
I mean, if Jesus were to probe our heart and lean in on an area where, you know, we put a God before him, we're holding on to our career or money or our sexual freedom or our autonomy. I don't know what it might be. And in all of our cases, we're all tempted in different areas. I think Jesus would lean on us and, and we want to ask Jesus, Jesus, can we follow you? And I believe Jesus would say, you know, you are saved by grace alone. You're not saved by works. You know, turning to me involves turning away, repenting of, uh, repenting of all the things that you're chasing after and following me. I love how Jesus does it. Jesus does it gently. Uh, Jesus, Jesus takes a lifetime. He knows that we continue to desire on a continual basis things other than him. And he changes our hearts. We come to him in repentance and faith. He gives us a new heart that we don't deserve. He saves us completely by grace. And he understands that it's going to be a lifetime of, of sanctification. It's going to be a long journey of, of putting him first. We're going to fail many, many times. But I think Jesus would press in on us today and say, uh, he would press in on us and say, what is it that you're unwilling to give up, that you're clinging to? that you love more than me. And I want you to really wrestle with this. This man walked away because he loved something more than Jesus himself, more than God himself. I wonder if that could be the case for some of you. What are you clinging to that's presenting? What are you, what is God asking you to drop so that you can follow him? But I want to look at it at another level. Another level, I think what Jesus shows us here is that when we're talking to somebody about spiritual issues and questions, we should use questions and conversation to really get to the issues of that person's heart. What Jesus shows us in this passage by his example is that when we're talking to somebody about spiritual issues, we should use questions and conversation to try to get to the issues of that person's heart. As I said, this man's heart issues present, prevented him from believing the gospel. What a waste. This man was face to face with Jesus and missed out. Not every conversation we have will end up with somebody coming to faith in Christ. And that's okay. What started out in this passage is seeming like a slam dunk, easy gospel presentation turned into something more challenging because Jesus didn't just want to deal with surface issues. Jesus wanted to deal with the issues of the heart. And so should we. I want to just spend a, a couple of minutes as I close, uh, trying to think of ways to apply what we've learned from Jesus here. And I want to preface what I'm going to say by um, just admitting that it is intimidating to watch Jesus engage somebody. It's a little bit like, somebody telling you, you know, all you need to do is to watch Kawhi Leonard play basketball and copy him. You know, that's all it takes. Of course, Jesus is going to do it better than we will. Of course, he is going to be uh, better at, at surfacing and probing the heart, surfacing issues than you and I will be. But we can still lean in to asking questions. I think it begins with loving people enough to really see them paying attention to who they are and, and just simply listening to what's going on in their heart. In their heart. So be genuinely curious. All of us know how to do that, don't we? Just to ask questions. Be curious about people and just begin to ask questions. 
I help to uh, assess church planters. I work for our denomination part-time. I just did this this past uh, Thursday. A part of that, I get to play an unbeliever. We do an evangelism role play. I get to basically pretend that, you know, I'm Joe on the street who knows nothing about the Bible. And it's a lot of fun. I get to play different characters and, and they get to witness to me. They get to share the gospel with me. One thing I've noticed is a lot of our church planters just talk at me. They don't ask me questions. They don't try to surface what's on my heart. And I'm playing an unbeliever and they just, they're, they're weaving to get to their talking point and they're angling. You know, I found a few of them really have a knack of asking good questions. And simply without even making any declarative statements, they begin to reveal that there's something lacking in my worldview. And they begin to find a way to understand me and then to speak the gospel into my particular situation. Even as a, a believer who's pretending to be an unbeliever, I can tell the difference. Asking good questions and engaging hearts is not only more effective, but it's actually a more enjoyable way to talk to somebody. A friend of mine who's a pastor in, uh, I think, the Burlington area, I think that's where his church is, he posted this the other day. I really loved it. 10 tips on personal evangelism. You'll see them on the screen. I love these. Number one, let people around you know that you're a Christian in a natural, unforced way. Just let people know that you're a Christian. Number two, ask friends about their faith and just listen. Just ask good questions. Uh, what do you believe? You know, have you ever thought about God? What do you, you know, what, just ask questions about what they believe about this world. Number three, this is so non-threatening, so possible. Listen to your friends' problems. And if the opportunity arises, even offer to pray for them. If they say no, that's fine, but offer to pray for them. Number four, share your problems with others. Be vulnerable with them. Talk about your problems and testify to how your faith helps you. Number five, give them a book to read. Number six, share your story. Number seven, answer questions and objections. Number eight, invite them to a church event. Number nine, offer to read the Bible with them. Number 10, take them to an explore course like Alpha or Christianity Explored. And, and this is what he says. We, he's arranged these as a progression from one to 10. And he says, a lot of us think that we be, need to begin at, ver, at number eight, you know, invite them to a church event or offer to read the Bible with them or take them to a course. And he says, we need to start with number one to four with most people, just letting them know that we're Christians, asking them what they believe, listening to their problems and being open about your problems with them. And he says, many people need to go through steps one to four repeatedly. And then maybe God will open an opportunity for them to go to five and then to six and so on. Not only is it more humble for us to begin with steps one to four, but it's actually more loving. And I love this being real with our friends, trusting them enough just to be open with them, listening to their thoughts, uh, listening to their problems, actually caring for them, showing our love for friends, even being vulnerable about your struggles. All of these are things that all of us can do. 
Just be normal with people. Include your faith as part of your life. Ask questions. Care for people. Ask God to use you. And then don't be scared to share the gospel when the opportunity arises. As we close, I want to give you just a few questions. uh, And they're going to be on the screen again. Uh, These are questions that you just might even pick one or two of them and and try to, to use more often. Again, not formulaic, just to have ready as good questions that you might ask. Who is God to you? You know, I heard recently of a, a professor uh, who came to faith in Jesus Christ, who was an agnostic, and somebody just said to her one day, who is God to you? And that began a journey of her exploring faith and led to her becoming a Christian. Who is God to you? Just simply, and then listen to them. Don't use it as a launching point. Just ask the question and listen to them. Number two, what is your faith background? What is your experience with church? In your opinion, what is a real Christian? Don't use all of these questions at once, but these are all good questions that you can use. I especially like the first two, who is God to you? And what is your faith background? Ask and then just listen and ask God to help you love the person in front of you. It's really encouraged to read this advice from a man named Greg Kokel. He encourages us to have modest goals for our, our encounters with others. Instead of trying to get to the cross in every encounter, he says, just aim to put a stone in someone's shoe. Try to give the person one thing, something to think about. Be content to plant a seed that might later flourish under God's sovereign care. I love that image of just aim to put a little stone in somebody's shoe, something that they'll walk away and and. It'll be so irritating to them. Just that question that they keep thinking about that they can't get rid of. Friends, take the pressure off. Really love the person in front of you. Try to understand where they're coming from and ask good questions. Be content with just raising issues sometimes. Don't misunderstand me. I said last week, uh, if I were to have taught you last week, I, I said that I would teach you about the importance of, of showing the gospel. If I were teaching you next week, I'd talk about the importance of explaining the gospel. I'm not shying away at all from sharing the gospel verbally. But the place to begin is by having conversations with people that just get them thinking and putting, it's all about putting stones in their shoes. And so here it is in one sentence. When talking with someone about spiritual issues, Use questions and conversations to get to the issues of that person's heart. Lord, I I know we're scared of sharing our faith with others. In fact, all of us find it hard. Uh, We're scared. Many times we just feel like we don't do a good job. We don't know where to begin. My prayer first is for those who are listening today including me, I pray that you would deal with our heart issues. Lord, it's possible that a lot of us uh, are coming today to, to listen to this live stream, to, to attend this church, this uh, online service. It's possible that a lot of us are attending here thinking like this man did, that we're in a much better spiritual condition than we really are. 
And my prayer is that you would reveal the idols of our heart, the things that we're clinging to other than you. I pray that you would do heart surgery in our lives. And Lord, that, that you would pry our fingers open, that we would let go of all these lesser things that are robbing us of loving you. And so, Lord, my prayer is if there's anybody here today um, who's clinging on to things, it could be money, it could be something else. I pray that in your, uh, through your spirit and your sovereignty, that you would work on our hearts and do heart surgery, that, that is Jesus pressed in on this man's issue, that right now you would press in on our issue and to deal with our hearts. Pray that nobody would leave the service clinging on to idols rather than you. And Lord, I also pray that you would give us a desire to evangelize. I pray that as we talk with others, that we would learn to ask good questions, that we would really see the people in front of us and just learn to love them and be curious and to surface the issues of their heart. Lord, give us words when the opportunity arises then to to tell the gospel. And I pray that uh, we would meet people where they're at. And I pray as a result of simply our faithfulness, that your spirit, because he's really the evangelist, we're just, we're just lackeys that you choose to use by your grace. I pray your spirit would draw people to Jesus and change their lives eternally. I don't know why you choose to use us, but you do. So Lord, would you use us in our weakness? as we learn to love the people around us and ask them good questions. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.